Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, we're going to give you the headlines of the week. Lots of ownership changes and ownership news in a number of different leagues. We'll tell you about those. In segment three, we're going to try and sort out all of this conference expansion talk. The Big Ten, the Pac-10, the Big 12. It's like musical chairs. But what I want to do is look at this from the big picture. Why is this happening? How many billions of dollars are at stake? Which are the schools that are the real linchpins of all of these conversations? We'll break that down in segment three. In segment four, Tim Limke, formerly of the Washington Times, he covers sports business. You can read him online at timlimkesports.com. He's going to join me to talk about FIFA World Cup soccer. It's underway this week. Will the biggest event in the world help make soccer in the United States more relevant in the future? Will MLS benefit from FIFA World Cup Soccer. We're going to discuss that in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend or follow me via Twitter. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. Appreciate the follow. Well, I'm joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Brian, sad news since our last show. John Wooden, 99 years old, in my opinion, the greatest coach in the history of sports, college or pro, passed away, had a great life. But the thing about John Wooden is that his maxims are not only used in sports, they're also used in the boardroom. And he's really one of the wonderful human beings of all time. And if you look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton, players that have played for him, they all talk about the life skills that they were taught. And uh, it's a great, great loss, a void that will probably never be filled. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I was going back and looking at some of his quotes. It's like he's, you could write a book on some of the little one-liners he came up with. He's like Yoda. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Just amazing. And again, they transcend sports. They are used, his pyramid of success is used in, in companies and in boardrooms all over the world. You know, his claim to fame... Besides just being a wonderful human being, he won 10 NCAA championships in 12 Final Four appearances. He won 88 games in a row. But again, most importantly, he taught his players life skills that made them successful after they left his program. Headlines coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is SBR. Back with more after this. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. FIFA World Cup Soccer underway. One of the biggest events in the world. More people watch FIFA World Cup Soccer on TV than any other event, including the Olympics. It's being held in South Africa. Brian Griggs, South Africa has spent billions of dollars upgrading their airport with transportation. They've got this you know, really fast light rail system now that can get people to all the different venues. There's high crime in South Africa, so they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on security to make sure there's no problems. It seems like South Africa is poised to be a terrific host for these World Cup games, but uh, we'll see how it turns out. You know, it kind of reminds me of looking at the footage, the new stadiums, everything of the Beijing Olympics, when they just kind of just basically leveled the city and started building this whole big, huge, you know, city for the Olympics. I think it's going to kind of be the same vibe in South Africa. It's a good comparison, and I think both are countries, South Africa and then obviously uh, China, where they're trying to show the world, look, we're worthy of hosting an event like this. Here's what our country's really all about. You've heard things over the years through the media, but come to our country, come to our continent and see what this is really all about. We're going to have much more on FIFA and the impact of the World Cup, potentially on the growth of soccer in the United States. That's coming up in segment four with sports business reporter Tim Lemke. Our next headline, the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals continue to chug along with pretty good TV ratings. Griggs, an interesting thing. Last Sunday, the Stanley Cup and the NBA Finals, they go head-to-head. They're on at the same time. Who came out on top? Well, the NBA Finals, Celtics-Lakers Game 2, 10.9 rating. Blackhawks-Flyers on NBC, a 4.0. So the NBA crushes the NHL. And I had conversations with people this week. The thing that people don't realize is that they go, wow, these are some of the best ratings for NHL hockey in the last decade. That's terrific. Well, guess what? Still, you have events like the NCAA March Madness Selection Show, the first round of the NFL Draft, even the Spelling Bee. They get higher ratings than Stanley Cup Finals on TV. So the good news is the ratings are better than they've been in the past for the NHL. The bad news is they still get crushed by the NFL and the NBA and even tournament selection shows for the NCAA Tournament. And I was flipping back and forth between the NBA game and the NHL game, and I found myself following the ratings. I mean, I ended up with the playoff game, the uh, NBA game, because it was a better game. It was just, uh, you know, and I kept flipping back and forth, and I just gave up on the the hockey. Well, one of the things, and we're going to talk about this with Tim Limke, that I think makes hockey tough is, you know, A, the puck is hard to follow. HD's made it easier to follow, but it's still a tough game to follow. The other thing is, in America, we love scoring. So whether it's soccer or hockey, if there's not a lot of scoring, we'd much rather watch the Lakers and Celtics play into the hundreds than, you know, watch a, a 3 nothing game. And I know, you know, that game on that Sunday was 7-4, so there was a lot of scoring for a hockey game. But still, I think the NHL is always going to have a hard time against the NBA, the NFL, and even Major League Baseball. Our next headline, 
You think you got financial problems? How about the American owners of Manchester United and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? The Glazier family. Malcolm Glazer and his family, $1.6 billion in debt. This is according to the BBC earlier this week. The BBC said its investigation found the Glazer family debts are $570 million greater than previously known. Malcolm Glazer and his son also own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, the Glazers took over the Manchester United in 2005 in a leveraged buyout worth $1.4 million. I don't see the Glazers being able to own Manchester United or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for much la- longer with this kind of uh, debt in place. I would think there's going to be a lot of pressure for them to try and sell these teams to be able to make up some of that debt. So those are situations to watch very, very carefully. NBA ownership situations. The NBA Board of Governors unanimously approved the Poland family sale of the Washington Wizards to Ted Leonsis's Lincoln Holdings. If you recall, there was already a deal in place for when Abe Poland passed away for him to transfer majority ownership of the Wizards and the arena to Ted Leonsis. And now Ted Leonsis gets to start his era owning the Wizards with the number one pick in the NBA draft, which he's expected to use to draft point guard John Wall, who's coming out of Kentucky. So good news. We've had Ted Leonsis on the show before. Really good guy. Happy for him that that all worked out for him. The Golden State Warriors have narrowed their field of potential buyers from 11 to 4. This is according to the Oakland Tribune. Oracle CEO Larry Ellison many people's favorite to win the right to buy this team. He's in that Final Four. And then 24-Hour Fitness founder Mark Mastroff is also a finalist. Now, many people expect the sale of the Warriors is going to top the all-time purchase record for an NBA franchise, which was what Robert Sarver paid in 2004. He paid $401 million to purchase the Phoenix Suns. We'll watch this one closely. Stan Kroenke earlier this week made it clear that he intends to keep ownership of the Nuggets and the Avalanche within his family as well as own the St. Louis Rams. This according to the Denver Post. Kroenke also made his first public comments about transferring ownership of the Nuggets to his son Josh. So there's rules about how many teams you can own and you know you're looking at owning the Rams the Avalanche of the NHL and the Nuggets of the NBA. He's going to transfer ownership to his son, Josh, who's been a senior VP within the organization. So he's pretty familiar with the day-to-day operations of the Nuggets. Uh, Our next headline, the Washington Nationals this week unveiled prized rookie Steven Strasburg to the home crowd in Washington, D.C. And this guy is like... He, he's just he's the goose that laid the golden egg, Griggs, because Washington National Games, usually, you know, if they play to half capacity, they're doing well. Sold out game. Uh, the guy, you know, sells lots of merchandise. He's great for the TV ratings. And now they also had the number one pick this week and drafted Bryce Harper, who some people are comparing to LeBron James as far as his impact. He's a phenom. He's 17 years old. He's just an unbelievable baseball player by all accounts, and the Nationals used the number one pick for the second year in a row to draft him. So if you combine Harper with Strasburg, things could be turning around there in uh, our nation's capital. And I think that'd be a good thing for that team because they uh, they need it. (laughs) 
Yeah, they definitely need it. Since they had the honeymoon period and moved into the stadium and returned to Washington, D.C. after being in, in Montreal, uh, things have not been great. Attendance has been really, really poor. And now, you know, you've got these two bright stars and uh, things could be looking up for them. Coming up in our next segment, we are going to try and give you the big picture on conference realignment in NCAA Division I sports, the Big Ten, the Pac-10, the Big 12. It's like musical chairs. Could we see super conferences? Why are all these conversations taking place right now? And how much money, how many billions of dollars are at stake in this game of poker? We're going to talk about that next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Well, I'm dusting off my golf clubs and looking forward to enjoying the gorgeous Oregon summer weather on the golf course. Like many of you, I'm on a budget. I want to tee it up when it's convenient for my schedule, and I enjoy playing golf courses that deliver a private golf club experience. That's why I want to tell you about the Ghost Pass at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club. The Ghost Pass is Oregon's premier frequent player program that allows you to play the world-renowned Ghost Creek Golf Course for over half off of the regular greens fees. And with your Ghost Pass, you can make your tee times 14 days in advance. The Ghost Pass program sets itself apart by offering a competitive tournament program, which includes one exclusive Ghost Pass event at Witch Hollow. The Ghost Pass is available for only $150, and here's the best part. When you sign up for the Ghost Pass, you'll receive a complimentary round of golf valued at $150. So you literally can't lose when you purchase the Ghost Pass. Go online to PumpkinRidge.com and sign up for the Ghost Pass today. I'll see you on the links. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back and lots and lots of talk this week and in recent weeks about conference realignment in college sports. Now, if you were lucky enough to be with us two weeks ago here in Portland at our Sports Business Radio, Warsaw Sports Marketing Executive Speaker Series event with none other then Pac-10 Commissioner Larry Scott, we saw a foreshadowing of some of the things that took place this last week, where Larry Scott, who's much more aggressive, much more innovative than his predecessor, Tom Hansen, got together with the presidents and the athletic directors of the Pac-10 schools, and basically they gave him the green light to be aggressive, and pursue adding teams to the Pac-10 conference. Now, let me start from the beginning here, because we've heard for months about the Big Ten, and they wanted to expand. The Big Ten already has a, a TV network. And what this is all about is a number of things, but it all comes down, as most things do on this show, to money, Griggs. And there's two schools that I believe are the linchpins of all of this conference realignment conversation because both of them bring millions and millions of dollars to the table. Number one is Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is an independent, and the Big Ten has aggressively tried to get Notre Dame to join their conference. Number two is Texas, the Texas Longhorns. 
humongous revenues from their football program. They're uh, a terrific school in a number of different sports, whether it's basketball, baseball, swimming, gymnastics. They are a money revenue generating college. They're a cash cow, just like Notre Dame. So you've got the Big Ten Conference going after Notre Dame. You've got the Pac-10 Conference going after Texas. And if the Pac-10 gets Texas, they've got to bring Texas Tech, Texas A&M. They've got to bring other schools from the Big 12. So now if you're the Big 12, you're looking and going, wait a minute. In the very near future, we may not be the Big 12. We might be like the Big 4 or the Big 5. And there's a few things here to remember. Number one, college football is king. College basketball is already maxed out with their revenues. So let me put this into context for you. The University of North Carolina, according to reports, generates more money than any other college basketball program in the country. They make about $16.5 million annually. Griggs, Texas, and USC, they make $16.5 million in college football in two games. It shows you how big college football is compared to college basketball. The other case in point, Kansas, part of the Big 12, one of the top five basketball programs in the country, they may be left holding the bag because no one wants them. The Big 10 and the Pac-10 and the SEC aren't asking for Kansas. Kansas doesn't have a great football program, so they don't really care about their basketball program. And in college athletics... The two major revenue streams that are left, if you're an athletic director, if you're a president to make money, football television contracts and football postseason. That's why this is all happening. We just saw the NCAA make an enormous multi-billion dollar deal with CBS and TNT for basketball. They're maxed out. They've reached the pinnacle of what they can make for basketball. So now, if you're an athletic director, you're saying football contracts on TV and football postseason, those are the two major revenue streams left for me if I'm going to make money. And if you, you know, Pac-10 goes to Pac-16, whatever it ends up calling it, if this goes through, I mean, you've got to think that there's got to be a TV network for that then. I mean, with Oklahoma, Texas, USC, even Oregon, who's growing, you know, it's... You got it. They're going to have to be like the Big Ten and get their own TV thing going, you know, and then it messes up the whole bowl schedule because then you got the Big 12 goes to the Big Four. Well, who are they going to play? They got to play a bunch of out of conference games because they're not going to have enough in conference games. So if you peel back this onion even more now and you go, why are these conversations taking place? It's because the BCS is a flawed system. And let me give you some numbers here. And a lot of these numbers are courtesy of Dan Wetzel. Terrific column this week on yahoosports.com. If you haven't read it, you've got to read it. It's a must read. But he brings back some numbers that have been out there before. And he talks about the current bowl system, the BCS, generated $220 million in gross revenue in 2008-2009, just $140 million in profit due to the high cost of keeping most bowl games afloat. So some people go, hey, You know, $140 million, that's not bad. Jim Delaney, the commissioner of the Big Ten, was asked to testify in front of Congress 
about a playoff system. Delaney estimates a playoff system could gross $880 million. More conservative estimates have said $780 million. So if you compare what these schools could make postseason-wise from a playoff system and by hosting home games and the revenue that comes with that versus the cost of the BCS, I mean, it's three or four times as much with a playoff system as opposed to the current BCS system. Now, you know, many people have told us ad nauseum, including Bill Hancock, who's been on this show, the executive director of the BCS, system's not going to change anytime soon. The TV contracts aren't up until 2014, so this is the system we're going to have in place until 2014. But what's happening now is that it's musical chairs with all the schools and all the conferences, and if you're a school like Kansas or Nebraska, you don't want to be left holding the bag in a conference that just got nuked. And now, you know, you're going, oh my gosh, what conference am I going to join now. I mean, if the Big 12 goes away and six of those teams join with the Pac-10, what's left of the Big 12? And that's when you could have, I mean, you could have Kansas joining like the Mountain West Conference. I mean, can you imagine what their basketball schedule would be like in, in, in that scenario? But again, it goes back to my earlier point. University of North Carolina, $16.5 million they make in college basketball, the most of any team in college basketball. In college football, the Powers, the Ohio States, the Texas, the Notre Dames, the USC's, they make that in two games. So the money's night and day. That's why Nebraska is much more attractive to the Big Ten than Kansas. Even though Kansas has this phenomenal basketball program, Nebraska's really only good at one thing, and it's football. They're known for football. So if you can provide big revenues for football, you're much more attractive to the Big Ten, to the Pac-10, to potentially the SEC, to the Big East, whoever, because the revenues are, again, are are night and day. So it's just really interesting to see how this is all playing out. I'll tell you this, in talking to Larry Scott and getting to interview him here in front of a live audience in Portland, I like the fact that the Pac-10 is being aggressive here, Griggs, because Tom Hansen, who was on the job for 26 years, I think for the last 10 years, he was like the guy from Weekend and Bernie's that they just dragged around. I mean, he was literally just a, a stuffed animal sitting at his desk doing nothing. And Larry Scott was brought in. He was the CEO of the WTA. He was used to doing big TV contracts. He was used to securing mega sponsorship deals. And this guy is doing creative things. I mean, some of the things he told us when he was here. The Pac-10 coaches, mainly football, have always complained that, you know what, there's the East Coast bias. We don't get enough media exposure by the East Coast, and they're the ones who are really influencing and controlling and shaping opinions, whether it's for Heisman Trophy Awards or for the standings and the rankings. We need to change that. So Larry Scott says, okay, I'm going to take all of you football coaches to New York. We're going to do a media day out in New York, also in L.A., which they normally do one in L.A., but now they're going to go to New York. 
Then they're going to stop in Bristol at ESPN and do all the various shows there. Now, all of a sudden, you've taken two days. You've taken your high-profile coaches, your marquee football coaches, and you've really blown out some, some media coverage there. Not a real difficult strategy to come up with, but under Tom Hansen, I don't think, A, he would have ever thought of anything like that, and B, I don't think the coaches would have agreed to take two days out of their schedule because they're very busy and basically say, we're going to devote these two days to media and we're going to get some East Coast and, and um, Northeastern media and obviously ESPN, who's huge, to notice us because we feel like we're buried in the Pacific time zone when people are going to sleep when our games start and, and we need to change that. So I like the fact that he's innovative and he's aggressive and that he's trying to make things happen. Why not? I mean, and you turn on the TV now, it's all about the Pac-10 expansion. You don't hear about the Big 12 right now because this is big. You know, I mean, Oklahoma, Texas, Colorado, those are some big. I mean, I went to the back when Oklahoma played at Autzen. Incredible game. The crowd was different. I mean, the just the tradition behind those schools, Oklahoma's, you know, warm-ups and just, it's just different. I mean, I can't imagine having those schools in our in the conference that, that I'm used to, you know, watching over here on the, you know, the West Coast and I mean, why not go after it? Well, and as you said earlier, there would be a TV network as part of this deal. And if you can say we've got USC and Texas and uh, you know UCLA and, and some other prominent schools in the mix here, that's pretty attractive to some potential programmer. And now you're talking, you know, some big time programming opportunities and lots of money that comes with that. But it's you know it's interesting. I, I just don't know that I can imagine USC and Texas in the same conference and imagine the recruiting battles that would take place. And it it would really change what college sports looks like. And as you said, you know, it throws the BCS into a tizzy because now, you know, who matches up against who in these bowl games? It's another reason why, and I've beaten this drum to death in the last six years that I've hosted this show, there needs to be a playoff system. And I just gave you the numbers. Almost $900 million if you have a playoff system in college football versus roughly $140 million in profit with the current BCS system. It's night and day. And if you give that money to these schools, I don't think you have the musical chairs that you're seeing now because they're not desperate for the revenues like they are in the current economic state of college sports. All right. Hopefully we deciphered that a little bit for you and uh, this will be a topic that we will continue to cover right here on Sports Business Radio. One more segment to go. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stick around. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SB Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. 
I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. What were the terms that got that big deal done? These guys know. Sports Business Radio. Brian Berger back with you, and I'm joined on the phone by Tim Limke. TimLimkeSports.com is where you can find him. He's also going to be writing for us at SportsBusinessRadio.com when we redesign our new site and launch that in the next few weeks. Tim, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks a lot, Brian. Always good to be on. Let's talk some FIFA World Cup soccer. We've talked a little bit about the economic impact of the event on South Africa. And I want to spend this segment talking about what does FIFA World Cup soccer mean to the future growth of soccer in the United States, whether it's the MLS or just the popularity of soccer in the United States. I think that's been a tough nut for the soccer folks to crack over the last several decades. They're always lagging behind the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. What do you think the state of soccer in the United States is going to look like after FIFA World Cup is complete? Well, you know, it's interesting. It, it, it always seems like we have this discussion uh, every four years, and soccer always seems to be sort of perpetually uh, on the cusp of breaking out into something bigger than it's been. I think we need to temper our expectations a little bit. Certainly when you have a, an event the size of the World Cup, there's going to be some impact. I don't think anyone should expect an overnight kind of uh, growth spurt on the part of, of soccer here. But I think the, 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 there are actually two sort of things to look at. One is the growth of just the overall popularity of the game of soccer in the United States. And then there's the growth of Major League Soccer. And there's really two, those are really two separate things when you think about it. Because I would say over the last decade or so, and certainly in the last four years since the 2006 World Cup, We've seen a lot more availability and visibility of international soccer on television and on the Internet. And a lot of soccer fans and sort of casual fans that got into soccer, perhaps as a result of the World Cup in 06, are now, you know, they they start to follow teams like from the English Premier League or Spanish La Liga or Serie A in Italy. It hasn't necessarily translated over to tremendous growth and popularity of Major League Soccer, although they are growing pretty steadily and, and are expanding nicely and are a pretty strong, viable league at this point. But we haven't seen the kind of explosive growth that I think some people uh, expect every time the, the World Cup rolls around. Uh, this is a big one, though, that 2010, you're going to see probably more coverage of the World Cup than we've ever seen before with every game being on television. With the Internet, you know, other platforms, there's just going to be a lot more discussion about the game than we've ever seen before. And that's going to pay off, I think, in the long run for soccer here. But no one should expect that all of a sudden the sport is going to be in the same level as the NHL or any or the NFL and, or any of the other sort of established major sports here in the United States. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is, as I see it for soccer, number one, most people in the United States, soccer is not a part of their fabric. They're raised on the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. Soccer has just not been a part of our fabric. The other thing is, is we love scoring. We want instant gratification. And with soccer, 
there's just not a lot of scoring. Some people think it's a little bit too slow of a game, and they'd rather watch the NFL where you can watch a, a 47-44 shootout or you know the NBA where you can you know have a 130-120 game between the Suns and the Mavericks. And I just get the feeling. The other thing is mainstream media, except for, like you said, every four years, we're not talking about soccer. We're talking about these other leagues and these other sports. And I just think... You know, soccer has a hard time being relevant other than when it's World Cup time. Right. I think that's very true. Although, you know, there are a couple things that could pay off uh, in over time for soccer here in the U.S. One, you mentioned it's not part of the fabric of uh, sort of the American lifestyle, and that is true, although there have been enormous strides made in, in the popularity and growth of participation in soccer, particularly at the youth level. Uh, just about every kid now probably plays soccer at some level, you know, in his youth. Um, and in many ways, it's probably, in a participatory sense, more popular than even Little League Baseball at this point. So that that's going to pay off. They've done, you know, the sport has done a great job of really reaching out at the grassroots level. And so those kids that are now five and six years old that are taking up the sport, maybe play it throughout their, all the way up through high school and maybe even college, all of a sudden they're soccer fans now. Um one of the things that I think also I think needs to happen, you mentioned the scoring, and I think certainly the Americans are sort of accustomed to high-scoring high contests. Americans are also accustomed to watching the best in the world. You know, the NBA is the best basketball league in the world with the best players. Same goes for baseball, same goes for the NHL and hockey. Major League Soccer is not the best league in the world in terms of quality of play and overall talent. Uh, that that status belongs to English Premier League and a couple of the other, uh, you know, European club uh, leagues over overseas. And so, so I think for the sport to really take off, Major League Soccer needs to perhaps continue to work to raise the level of play, maybe get some of the top international stars over here to the point where even the diehard soccer fans start to believe that Major League Soccer is a, a viable league, uh, not only financially, but competitively as well. Yeah, the other problem for Major League Soccer, too, is their TV exposure. So they started on ESPN. They went to ESPN, too. There's been discussion that they may go to Versus, and it seems like they're being you know, less and less seen on TV. And as we talk all the time on this show, if you're not being seen on TV, if it's hard to find you, you're going to be irrelevant. And I'm not saying Major League Soccer is irrelevant at all, and I actually think they have a very responsible business model for their league and for their teams. But I just wonder, you know, is there something they can do to become more widespread through the media here in the United States so more people are able to see their product? Yeah, it's it's a very difficult... Major League Soccer is kind of running into a situation that the NHL ran into, which is they just... They, they would like a, a TV contract that gives them some revenue, um, but ultimately they really want more exposure, too. The NHL took a risk and went with Versus. They're probably, they're probably getting more overall coverage of their games, but it's on a network that maybe not as many people get. And the NHL is getting a direct rights payment where if, the, if they had stayed with ESPN, they might not have gotten that revenue. Major League Soccer needs to decide sort of which way to go on that as well. I think ultimately they're they're going to want to try to get the best of both worlds, which is to get a lot of revenue from someone who's willing to pay them, but also have a lot of games that are available nationally. And it's tricky. I mean, at this point, you're basically only seeing maybe a handful of games on 
nationally, maybe one or two on ESPN. There's a couple maybe on Telefutura, Fox Soccer Channel, which are kind of niche niche channels. Ideally, Major League Soccer would like to be able to boost the the you know exposure on ESPN and ESPN two, but the ratings have to justify it for ESPN to to do that. And so far, the ratings have been generally flat overall, and you just don't see. I'm, I struggle to see sort of an avenue where Major League Soccer is really going to be able to boost and ramp up their exposure in any significant way in the short term. My guest is Tim Limke. He has covered sports business for the Washington Times. You can read him online at timlimkesports.com. Let's talk about Nike versus Adidas because this is an enormous battle. I mean, Nike, I think, produced one of the great long-form commercials in the history of advertising recently. Uh, ramping up to the the FIFA World Cup. And then we saw Adidas launch an ad this week where they bring in uh, clips from Star Wars. When they're in the cantina, you see Han Solo, you see uh, Snoop Dogg, David Beckham's in the spot. I mean, they pulled out all the stops for this spot, which runs about two minutes. Uh, I know Adidas is doing the ball. There's lots of talk about Nike versus Adidas. Lots at stake here for uh, both of these companies. Yeah, you know, this is when the marketing really gets kind of fun to watch because the companies really pull out, out all the stops. They spare no expense, and creatively, they're working at a very, very high level. I think what was the Nike commercial, I think, is three minutes in length. I mean, it's pretty awesome. Uh, and they can. what's fun is they're able to leverage in this day and age the Internet. You can go on YouTube and, and kind of see these commercials and spots in their, in their full form. Uh, you know, Adidas obviously is sort of the more established brand in the soccer world. They uh, have, you know, outfitted a lot of the, uh, you know, put out a lot of the equipment over the years. They have the official ball for the World Cup. But Nike recognizes, you know, the growth opportunity in, in being partnered with the biggest sport in the world. And it will be interesting to see sort of who kind of comes out on top here. I think it will be a, a battle. You know, you may see some back and forth in terms of who the sort of official supplier is over over time um and that here in the united states there's a lot of opportunities both at the major league soccer level but also collegiately too i think that's actually kind of a big thing because we're seeing some growth in the popularity of collegiate soccer as well and more exposure at that level so it's very interesting to watch yeah i mean it's just interesting to me because nike isn't sponsoring the world cup but they're sponsoring brazil they sponsor the united states team so you see the swoosh on them and in the right. last five or six years you know, it's become so much more uh, important to the company to, I guess, make their name synonymous with football around the world. So they've been very, very aggressive. And like you said, with Adidas, they are sponsoring the event. Talk about the ball for a moment. I know you wrote about that on TimLimkeSports.com. There's been some controversy. Some of the players have complained about the performance of the soccer ball. Uh, what's that all about? Well, this seems to happen every time the World Cup comes along with Adidas decides to come out with a new ball that uh, they claim is revolutionary in its design and materials and supposedly, uh, you know, the perfect kind of ball for the type of play that uh, fans and, and FIFA expects. But ultimately, it's, it's kind of a strange thing because they introduced this ball not too long before the World Cup starts and then players end up kind of complaining because they're not used to it or it doesn't do what they think it should do in terms of movement or or you know just how it feels off the foot 
And, you know, one of the things I commented on on my blog was I don't understand why FIFA feels the need and, to, and Adidas feels the need to introduce a new ball. I mean, I can't think of another sport where all of a sudden they just decide to change the materials and the design of the most important piece of equipment. I mean, can you imagine, uh, you know, somebody like Roy Halladay going out on the mound and all of a sudden being said, all right, well, the baseball is now made of, you know, some sort of synthetic fiber and there's no strings on it and the, uh, you know, the indentations and the feel of it is completely different. Um, you know, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard of. I mean, the NFL, they've been doing the same ball for years. Uh, in the NHL, the puck is basically the same and they're really picky about sort of what temperature it's frozen at and the materials. I don't understand why the most popular sport in the world feels the need to change the most important piece of equipment in the sport. It's very odd to me. Well, I'll tell you two things. One is the NBA. We saw how that worked out for them when they tried to change the Spalding ball a few years ago. That failed miserably. They had to change back to the regular ball by, you know, the beginning of that year of the season. So it lasted about two and a half, three months. And then the, the, the reason they do this, I think, is it's it's all yeah it's all about you know hey there's a new ball let's go out and sell lots of these new balls you know our other soccer balls before they were fine but now we've got the new and improved you know official ball of world cup let's go sell a bazillion of these things around the world so but it is sad when they i guess taint the integrity of the game or challenge the integrity of the game by you know, using a, a ball or something that uh, the players really don't like. We'll see how that works out. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how can people follow you on Twitter? Well, I'm on, on there at uh, Tim Lemke Sports is my uh, my handle there, and I'm doing some blogging at TimLemkeSports.com. We also have a piece uh, uh, later this week uh, at FoxNews.com talking about the, the World Cup as well. So keep an eye out for all that. We will definitely keep an eye on it, and we'll have you uh, on again, Sports Business Radio, soon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. An interesting nugget from Terry Lefton from the Sports Business Journal this week. Q scores. Very, very important to companies who are making millions of dollars worth of advertising and marketing decisions every year. For the first time in more than a decade, Tiger Woods is not at the top of the annual sports Q scores list. 
he's shared that top spot with Michael Jordan for most of the last decade. However, following the sex scandal with Tiger Woods, he's dropped all the way to 25th on the list. His positive Q score dipped almost 33% from a 44 to a 30. His negative Q score, reflecting those surveyed who said they don't like Woods, more than doubled from 15 to 39. Griggs, you know, we've talked a lot in recent months since this scandal first hit about the marketability of Tiger Woods, and I can't emphasize enough how important this list is because so many marketers look at this list when they say, who do we want to hire as a pitch person to represent our brand? And seeing that Tiger's gone from 1 to 25 on the list is certainly bad news for him. And I think it opens the door even more for Phil Mickelson, who's playing great golf right now. And, you know, everybody loves the story of his, you know, his wife and his mom and all that stuff. And then he's, you know, he's playing great golf. He's right in the top every single uh, tournament right now. Well, we've got a few important majors coming up, the U.S. Open and the British Open. If either one of those players can win those events, maybe it affects their Q scores. Top 10, Michael Jordan is number one, John Madden two, Sean White is tied for two. Peyton Manning, Joe Montana, Arnold Palmer, Jerry Rice, Nolan Ryan, Julius Irving, Magic Johnson, and Apollo Anton Ono. Lots of retired players on that list and two Olympians because this was conducted during the Olympics. Interesting numbers there. Thank you to our guest, Tim Limke, timlimkesports.com. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon and New School Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Enjoy your week and we'll talk to you next week on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.